0: Welcome everybody, glad you're here, you can uh, find your seats um, and uh, we'll dive into the word this morning. Um, we are in 1 Kings, we're actually finishing up 1 Kings today and 2 Chronicles, uh, we'll be starting, uh, well not quite finishing up, Luke will kind of finish up 1 Kings next week and then, um, and then we'll be doing uh, the 2 second, second Kings and 2 Chronicles, those books kind of go together Our series we've been doing over the summer is called In the Lord's Sight, and we talked through this, but just to mention it for those of you who haven't been here, you know, God wants us to be right in His sight, and so often we're trying to be right in the world's sight, or in a wife, or a husband's sight, or a church's sight, or it's it's that constant feeling of trying to be right in someone's sight, and and it's not like the Lord doesn't want us to have see that we have the favor of him, and then be favorable towards others. But the, but the issue becomes that the priority that we have to have in our life is to make sure that we're right before God. And the reason we picked that title is because throughout 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and 2 Chronicles, you will see over and over again the Lord say, or God say, in the Lord's sight or in the Lord's eyes, this king was good. This king was wicked. You know, he did these things good and not these things. And it's repeated like over 70 times in those books. And it's this idea that we need to be thinking about, are we doing what's right before the Lord or are we doing what we think is right? And so often, and what you see in the book of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and 2 Chronicles, are a bunch of guys that have power who are doing what's right in their own eyes, not doing what's right according to the word of God. A matter of fact, they don't even know or read the word of God. And so that's where we've been. Right now, we're diving in. Um, to two kingdoms. The kingdoms are split. There's a southern kingdom and a northern, northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom has still clinging to the beliefs of Jerusalem. The temple, the northern kingdom, abandoned that. They've made their own temples. They created two golden calves and they're kind of going off the rails. The southern kingdom was wicked for a while, now they had a king that was righteous, and Asa, his son Jehoshaphat has taken over, Jehoshaphat is a fairly righteous king, we'll see in a moment, and then we pick up the story there, and I want us to dive into that this morning. Here's kind of a map of what you see of kind of how it was divided, that you have a north and a south, and that they didn't get along really well, and we'll see this morning that Jehoshaphat tried to solve that, and he did it in the wrong way, and it was very, very costly. Um, this morning, what I want to talk about is alliances. Alliance. We, we are constantly seeing in our culture these ideas of aligning with people, forming alliances, right? Like, who am I going to partner with? Who am I not? Who am I going to be with? Who am I not going to be with? And what we're going to read this morning is what happens. When we're trying to determine, how do we determine what is a good alliance and a bad alliance? Who we're we're supposed to be with, not supposed to be with. Because most of the time, we think we can fix problems. We think we can solve issues. We think we can step into things, and what I step into won't affect me, but I'm going to have an effect on everybody else in that situation, and I'm going to change that situation because I'm God's man, or I'm God's woman, or I'm going to make this happen. And this passage just blows that out of the water. I mean, it it just lays clearly how so often when we do that, you can see the pride and it has devastating consequences generations down the road. That You have to be careful who you align with in your life. And if you're not, the Bible is clear, you're going to be in trouble. And we constantly are aligning ourselves. We have to decide if we're going to work somewhere or not work somewhere. We have to decide what church we're going to go to. We have to decide all these things, but we need to be very careful because if we're not, we're going to get in huge trouble. Uh, you know, today, Christianity, people say Christianity is all about, it's supposed to be all about tolerance and just getting along with everybody. It's about love, and you should just love everybody. Just align yourself with everyone and let them do whatever they want. That's pretty much what you see happening in the book of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and 2 Chronicles that leads them to be slaughtered by the Assyrian Empire and slaughtered by the Babylonian Empire because God just goes, okay, Have what you want. If you guys want to live together, you want to do that, you want to live that way, go ahead. My blessing's gone. See how that works out for you when I'm not protecting you anymore. Because the world's wicked and it'll take you out. And that's what we see that ends up happening. Jehoshaphat ends up being friendly with the kings of Israel. We'll see that in a moment. I think it's likely when you read about Jehoshaphat's life, who was the southern king, that he probably Because he was a righteous guy, he had sent out teachers all over his empire, he probably had a heart for the northern kingdom. He wanted the northern kingdom to change. He wanted to say, okay, maybe this time they'll get it. Maybe if I partner with them this way, maybe this time. And they don't. And God tells him, why did you do that? So I don't think Jehoshaphat's heart was wrong necessarily. His heart was in a wicked place, totally. But he didn't listen to God and it became incredibly costly. When we pick up the story, it says, Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father, David. Remember, David wasn't his father. David was his great-great, I think, great-grandfather. But still, there was this father figure, David, who was a righteous king. And it says, He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commands, not according to the practices of Israel. And we looked about, last week, about walking in the ways of your father. Your father in heaven. And evaluating the fathers here by that standard. And he says that, okay, he walked in his ways. He did these things. In verse 6, it picks up. He said, his mind rejoiced in the Lord's ways. And he again removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. Asherah poles were these uh, sexual poles that were used. There were two gods, Baal and Asherah, in the northern kingdom that they worshipped. And he, those of course, translated into the southern kingdom. that, That worship trickled down, so to speak. And... He removed those. And then it says, In the third year of his reign, Jehoshaphat sent his officials to go out and do what? They taught throughout Judah, having the book of the Lord's instruction with them. They went through the towns of Judah and taught all the people. He's sending them out to say, you need to align yourself with God's word. I need everybody to know God's word. I'm sending everybody out to to be accountable to God's word. Like, Jehoshaphat is doing some really good things. Then it goes on and it says, The terror of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of the lands that surrounded Judah so they didn't fight against Jehoshaphat, that he had God's protection. Now in the southern kingdom, we have Ahab, and this is what the Lord says about Ahab. I'm about to bring disaster on you. I will sweep away your descendants, he's telling Ahab towards the end of his life. I will eliminate all of Ahab's males, both slave and free in Israel. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat who was completely slaughtered. All of his children were slaughtered, so he had no name left in Israel. Jeroboam was the one that rebelled against Rehoboam, the king, and started the northern kingdom and refused to follow God. And like the house of Baasha, son of Ahijah, because you provoked my anger and caused Israel to sin. He's like, you keep provoking me to anger and you keep encouraging others to sin instead of walking with me. Then he goes on and he says, the Lord also speaks of Jezebel. That was Ahab's very wicked wife. And he says, the dogs will eat Jezebel in the plot of land at Jezreel. He who belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And he who dies in the field, the birds of the sky will eat. Still, there was no one like Ahab who devoted himself to do what was evil in the Lord's sight. Because his wife, is Jezebel, incited him. See, alliances are really important. Who you marry, who your friends are. It's really important. Because if you get it wrong, you will be incited either to love God and love his church, surrender to God and surrender to his bride, the the bride of Christ, or you will love yourself, create your own church, create your own bride, and you will entice each other to walk away from God instead of to give your life for God. I didn't write the book. God says it all the way through. It's the same thing he said about Solomon. Solomon, you have all these wives and they've led your heart astray. You chased something I told you not to have. You made alliances and treaties with all these nations by marrying all these wives and now you've done it. The kingdom's gonna fall apart and it takes hundreds of years, but it eventually completely falls apart apart. It goes on, when Ahab was told this, we looked at this last week, he had a moment of clarity. He said, when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth over his body, and he fasted, and he lay down in sackcloth and walked around subdued. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite. That was the prophet God, one of the prophets God had raised up that we looked at. We'll see him again. He said, you've seen how Ahab had humbled himself before me. I will not bring disaster during Ahab's lifetime because he's humbled himself before me. But I will bring disaster on his house during his son's lifetime. Now remember, we just looked at Jehoshaphat saying, my father David. Jehoshaphat was the great, great, great grandson of David. So when God says, I'm going to bring it on his sons, he's not saying this is a curse on the son that's born to you. He's not saying it's a curse on the grandson born to you. He is saying at some point, when your sons don't want to follow me, I'm going to have to bring my wrath for the whole mess that all of you have made. So this is a warning to his sons. Right, like if you were a son and you were born and the prophet gave this warning, you have a choice to make and say, well, I don't want it to be me. I don't want to, I don't want to be the son that destroys God and destroy, or destroys God's kingdom and destroys his people. I, I don't want to be that son, right? And so you have a choice to make. What we find out later is Ahab's sons choose to follow worse than Ahab. They don't heed the warning. And that's the way we are. God is constantly trying to get us to see who we are in his sight. He's trying to constantly get us to see who he wants us to be. He's trying to invite us in to see him. So we have a perfect picture, or a clear picture, I mean, of who he is. God is constantly doing that. And we're like, not me. I got this under control. I can do this. Now his sons know. Now they're accountable. Now they've been told. So are you going to follow me or are you going to do what your dad did and then I'm going to bring the hammer down on your life and on the nation? It's a prophecy. We pick back up the story in 2 Chronicles 18. It says, now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance and he made an alliance with Ahab through marriage. Underline that verse in your Bible. There is so much to unpack in this verse that we're going to see. First thing. When Jehoshaphat became king, you saw his passion for God. He he repented. He tore down the Asherah poles. He was taking down the idolatry. He was like sending the word of God out. I see this so often in young people who come to know Christ. They're all excited about Jesus and then after a while, things settle down. They get in a rhythm. It's kind of, uh. And and they're taken care of. They have abundance. They have the house. They have the job. And all of a sudden, it's like, I'm good. And then I see this happen with some of them. They come to that place where I have this abundance and this honor, and they think, oh, God has so blessed me. He wants me to go out and change the world. He wants me to go make alliances. He wants me to, like, like change the northern kingdom. I'm going to go get them. I'm going to take them on. I'm going to be the one that loves them and takes them in when they've been rejected by everybody else. I'm going to be the one. And that's exactly where Jehoshaphat's at. He's either forgotten God or he thinks he has the power of God to do what God told him not to do. That he's gonna be able to change this wicked northern kingdom and his strategy to do it is horrendous, but it's the same strategy we use today. You don't believe me? How many people do you know, how many parents do you know that will stand up To their children, once their children decide who they want to marry. They won't do it. Well, that's your choice. That's your decision. And and if we if we stand up to it, then they're not gonna let us see the grandkids. And I don't I don't wanna be judgmental. When you align in marriage, God said it's forever, it's a forever covenant. He doesn't forget it. Remember, we just read about the fact that when you read the lineage of Jesus and Jesus talks and it talks about where Jesus came from, when it doesn't it doesn't say he came from David, it says that he came from who? Uriah. Uriah's wife Bathsheba is written in the lineage of David. He could have said he came from David's wife Bathsheba. It doesn't say that. It says he came from Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, who David slept with. God still recognized that Uriah and Bathsheba were husband and wife. But David didn't, David took that from him. Like God is serious about marriage and Jehoshaphat forgot that. All the kings had been forgetting it because they got all these wives and all these kids because they can, because they're powerful and they're rich. And when you're powerful and you're rich, you don't, you're like, well, I'm good. God must be blessing me. Everything's going well. I must have done such righteousness to get rid of the Asherah poles and make all this money and send out these teachers. I can just, now I have the power to change things and make things happen. And so what does Jehoshaphat do? Jehoshaphat makes an alliance and he takes one of Ahab's daughters and they make an agreement that one of Ahab's daughters, we'll find out in a minute, marries Jehoshaphat's son, and she turns his son against Yahweh, which happens over and over and over and over and over, and we still keep repeating it. We still keep doing it. Like, when are we going to wake up? We have to look at this and say, okay, be careful. You, this isn't going to fix something. Everybody thinks in marriage, I, you know, it always frustrates me when two people, let's say two young people, they They sleep together and they get pregnant and that the church used to be, well, they need to be married now. Two, Two wrongs don't make a right. What they did was wrong. That doesn't mean they need to be married. We need to pause for a moment and ask the question, wait a minute, why did this happen? Do I want to push them into further sin or do I want to pull them back and like have a conversation? Why? And what's going on? And walk through it. And the church's solution for so long was, well, just get them married. That'll fix it. I mean, at some point, you've got to look up and see that, man, we're doing the same thing that Jehoshaphat does, that we think when we get to that place that we can make these alliances, we can make these deals, we can do these things, and we're strong. We, we can handle it. No, you can't. And, and you're probably not going to change the other person. Biblically, the other person almost always changes you. Almost Always. There are a few exceptions. I mean, when I say a few, I mean a few exceptions. It goes on, it says, then after some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. So he gives his daughter in marriage and then like doesn't even care, doesn't even like, well, I did it. And now a few years later, he goes down and look what it says. Ahab sacrificed many sheep and cattle for Jehoshaphat and for the people who were with him. Then he persuaded him to march up to Ramoth-Gilead. He's bribing him. Well, this is a family. You're part of the family now. And here's all the sacrifices. And oh, Jehoshaphat probably thinking in his mind, oh, Ahab's sacrificing to Yahweh. Oh, he says he loves Yahweh now. Oh, he repented when that moment ago we saw he put on sackcloth and ashes. He must be good. And then you look around and go, but there's all the Baals and Asherah still everywhere. And Jezebel still sits on her own little throne telling people what to do. Like Jehoshaphat is in a position now where it's like he's trying to get Jehoshaphat on his side. And it's so easy for us to do that. Oh, well, well, he says he's a Christian. He says he loves Yahweh. Oh, look, he's, he's making sacrifices. That's good. Was Ahab making those sacrifices in Jerusalem where he was supposed to make the sacrifices? Jehoshaphat was participating in sacrificial worship in Samaria where God told him not to do it. He's already compromised. Once you take that little step, it just starts falling. It goes on, it says in 2 Kings, same story. It says, There was a lull of three years without war between Aram and Israel. That's critical to remember because once you don't have war for three years, when you've been in constant war, what do you start thinking? I'm doing pretty well now. God must be blessing me. Look at all the good things that are happening. It's, and, and Jehoshaphat's probably looking and going, well, God, I guess when Ahab repented, he meant it because he hasn't had a war for three years. So, And Ahab, his decision is, since I haven't had a war for three years, let's start one. Not let's just live in peace, let's get the nation, let's get our lives together, let's get the Asherahs and the bales out of our own heart. No, 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 no. We need to go after all those wicked people. Ahab starts a war. That God didn't ask him to start. And Jehoshaphat is participating in it. Look what goes on. It says, however, in the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went to visit the king of Israel. The king of Israel had said to his servants, don't you know that Ramoth Gilead is ours? But we have failed to take it from the hand of the king of Aram. So he asked Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to fight Ramoth Gilead? Who said that Aram was theirs? Jehoshaphat doesn't even question it. Oh, okay. Yeah, if God said that. I can't argue with you, you know. I don't want to argue with God. If God told you, well, then it must be true. What? He says, Will you go with me? You see, we so easily got, get caught up in these alliances, especially with people who look like believers, claim to be believers, and we don't even realize how trapped we are sometimes. You have to be careful. I'm not saying you go around judging people. This isn't hard judgment. Dude is still having bales, like golden calves. Like this isn't like the hard thing that we have. This is clear, like idolatry apostasy. Like this isn't hard to figure out. First Corinthians in the New Testament says this. It's widely reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind of sexual immorality that's not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is living with his father's wife. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. And you are inflated with pride instead of filled with grief so that he who has committed this act might be removed from your congregation. Like Paul is writing and he's like, look, instead of being filled with grief over this thing that's happening, you're like proud that this is working out. You're proud that this is happening. We are in the middle of pride month. Like, just like Jehoshaphat was proud of what he was doing, he got proud and rich and wealthy, what ends up happening is we stop asking, what's best for God and people? New study came out of Scandinavia, or out of Sweden. Anyone who undergoes transsexual surgery is 19 times more likely to commit suicide than people who don't. 19 times. Most of Europe are shutting down transitioning. Like they're shutting it off, for ki- especially children. They're like, we are not doing this. And we're like doubling down on it as a nation. And the evidence is coming out that it's not helpful to people. It's hurtful to them. Does that mean... We scream in their face and tell them how awful that, no, we love them, we care for them, and we warn them, just like God sends the prophets to warn us, just like he's getting ready to warn Jehoshaphat and Ahab, and we look at them and say, don't do this. This isn't what God wants for your life. It's not what God wants for others' lives. Don't do it. And Paul is saying, in the church, you're like, yeah, let's do it. No, no. You should be, like, grieving it. And you shouldn't be, like, super angry. And, yeah, that's why we got him. We kicked him out of here. We told you something. No, he's, like, grieve over that. Like, weep. If you have to make a decision like this, it shouldn't be like, yeah, we, we got them. It should be like your heart is broken. And then he goes on. He says, I write to you, or I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not mean the immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, you'd have to leave the world. In other words, I'm not talking about those that are lost, that don't know me, that don't claim me. Like Jehoshaphat and Ahab. Ahab claims to still know Yahweh. He still claims to be blessed by Yahweh. He's using Yahweh's name and he's putting idols on it. Paul is saying, look, you've got to be with lost people. Otherwise, they can't find out about salvation. That doesn't mean that you're their best friend, but it means you've got to have relationships in which you can love them and care for them. So Paul goes on and he says, but now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer who is sexually immoral or greedy or idolater or verbally abusive, a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with such a person. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside, but God judges outsiders. Put away the evil person from among yourselves. See, what Jehoshaphat is doing is he's playing the, we just all are getting unified and we all get along here unity game that is so dangerous. Be very, very careful with it. Because what looks like unity is normally in our culture compromise. And it's deadly. And he's looking, he's saying, I'm not talking about attacking all those people. Take care of your own family and your own house first. Then go out and tell people. It's where Jesus says, you have a plank in your own eye, but you're pointing out everybody else's speck. Deal with the plank in your own eye so that you can become a good eye doctor and take specks out of people's eyes. Train yourself how to take the plank out of your eye, get some other people that know how to do plank eye surgery so that you guys can go out and look at other people and be like, dude, you got a speck that could turn into a plank. Let me help you. That's what Paul's talking about here. Be careful who you align with. And the reason they probably did this in the church is because, well, we, we just want to be loving. We want them to know that we, we care about them. They're bringing evil into the church and calling it good. You cannot do that. And that's what Jehoshaphat's doing. Let's go on this story. Jehoshaphat replies to him and he says, I am as you are and my people as your people. We will be with you in the battle. Really, I'm as you are? I'm an Asherah, Baal worshiper? My people who don't worship Baal and Asherah and I've taught them the word of God, we're going to cooperate with you your people who all worship Baal, mostly worship Baal, and Asherah? Like, what is Jehoshaphat doing? Like, I, I mean, he's lost his mind. He was doing a good job, and then all of a sudden, it's like he's, he's careening off a cliff. And then it goes on. It says, but Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, first, look at this, he has a moment of clarity. First, please ask what the Lord's will is. So the king of Israel gathered the, the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, should we go to Ramoth Gilead for war, or should I refrain? Maybe you should have asked for God's will before you made an alliance and a covenant. Maybe before you got married, you should have asked the prophets and asked God's people, do you think we should be married? Do you think this is godly? Do you think this is what God wants for my life? Instead, Jehoshaphat does it on the back end. Like, all of a sudden, he's like, uh-oh, I've done this. I just said we're the same. We're not the same. Uh, uh, uh Let's go pray. Let's talk to God. Yeah, you're in panic mode now. Because you just committed your whole army and all of your people to this mess. Without even praying or asking what God's will is in it. Because you think things are going well and I'm making an alliance. Well, my daughter's married to him so we can't stand up to that. Like this is the, it's just the same story that we do here in our own culture. Goes on and he says this. They replied, march up and God will hand it over to the king. But Jehoshaphat asked, I love this. He's like, oh, good, I got my answer. Jehoshaphat's still having a moment of clarity. Look at what he says. Isn't there a prophet of Yahweh here anymore? Let's ask him. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is one, still one man who can ask Yahweh, but I hate him because he never prophesies good, prophesies good about me, but only disaster. He is Micaiah, son of Imla. The king shouldn't say that, Jehoshaphat replied. Like Jehoshaphat recognizes, you just brought in a bunch of yes prophets to just tell you whatever you want to hear. Like, you don't, you don't have agreement of 400 people on anything, ever. It doesn't matter what it is. Try to get agreement of 400 people on anything, and somebody in there's going to be like, I'm just going to vote no because I want to. I really agree with it, but I just want to vote no. I did that one time at a meeting, a religious meeting on campus. There's a guy, and we were voting, and I knew him well. And so everybody's like, yay, and, and you know, we're just putting people in charge. And all of a sudden, they're like, are there any nays? And I'm like, nay! And he looked at me like, what did you do? And I just smiled and laughed. I said, I didn't want it to be totally unanimous. You need some humility in your life. And he just laughed. We still joke about it to this day. 400 prophets, Jehoshaphat recognizes these aren't godly prophets. They didn't seek the Lord. They just did what you told them to do. You said you wanted to do this, and they come. They didn't even pray. They didn't offer sacrifices. They didn't seek God. They were just like, oh, if you want that, that, okay, good. And Jehoshaphat recognized, he's like, is there anybody else that we can talk to? And I love, I love that Ahab's like, yeah, there's a guy. <sighs> I hate that guy. He never tells me good stuff. He always warns me and talks about all I'm doing bad. He just can't love me and tell me everything's going to be okay. I'm tired of that guy. By the way, we named our daughter after this guy. Our first daughter's name Micaiah. That's spelling right there. That's where we got the name. Love this prophet. He goes on, says this, or Jesus said this in Matthew. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. You broad of vipers. He's talking to the religious prophets, the religious priests and leaders of his day. He says, you guys are a bunch of snakes. He says, how can you speak good things When you are evil, for from the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart, a good man produces good things from his storehouse of good, and an evil man produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. This is how it always works. I want some sign to prove that if you tell me something bad, that I have to listen to it. If you tell me something negative, that I have to listen to it because I'm looking for positive. I'm looking for all the good stuff. And Jesus is like, "I'm just telling you the truth. You're a bunch of snakes." You won't tell people the truth of the mess they're in. You won't warn them. You've got an alliance with the Romans and Herod has taxed the Jews to build a fake temple in my name that I don't reside in, which is what had happened at this point. It goes on and says, so the king of Israel called an officer and said, hurry and get Micaiah. Now the king of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah clothed in royal attire, look at this were each sitting on his own throne. They were sitting on the threshing floor, mark that, at the entrance of Samaria's gate, and all the prophets were prophesying in front of them. Then Zedekiah, son of Chinana, made iron horns and said, this is what the Lord says, you will gore the Armenians with these until they are finished off. And all the prophets were prophesying the same thing and saying, or same saying, march up to Ramoth-Gilead and succeed, for the Lord will hand it over to the king. It's like a chant, like you're in a stadium full of 80,000 people and just chanting it. Like, they're both sitting on royal thrones. Like, look at us on our thrones. Look at us. We're so, look, we, Jehoshaphat, I've brought the kingdoms back together. We're unified. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this wonderful? We're we're getting along. We're sitting on thrones next to one another. Zedekiah sees that and he's like, oh, this is my opportunity to get in good. I'm going to make some brawn horns and be like, these horns, oh, they show your strength. There's two horns, one for you, Jehoshaphat, and one for you, Ahab, because you're going to do it because you're God's men. He's doing this so he can be in good, so he can get the benefits instead of lay down his life. It's, everybody's unified at this point. It goes on. It says, the messenger who was called, who went to call Micaiah, instructed him. He finds Micaiah. He says, look, the words of the prophets are unequivocally favorable for the king. So let your words be like theirs and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, I will say whatever my God says. So we went to the king, and the king asked him, Micaiah, should we go to Ramoth-Gilead for war, or should we refrain? Micaiah said, march up and succeed, for they will be handed over to you. Wait, what? I I thought Micaiah was going to prophesy against doing that. But the king said to him, how many times must I make you swear not to tell me anything but the truth in the name of Yahweh? There's no way, there's no way that that's true because you've never prophesied anything good about me. So I know you're lying. I wonder if like Micaiah's face gave it away. You know what I mean? Like your kids, when they come, okay, I'll do it. You know, like, oh, yes, I would love to serve you, mom and dad. Yes, I'll do the dishes. Oh, yes, I would love to. Or if it's like, okay, I'll do it. Yeah, God says you should just go call them and then it'll be okay. And he's like, that is, no, you're, you're lying. I know it, right? I see right through it. Tell me the truth. Do you understand that what Micaiah just did there that's really critical is Micaiah obeyed because he was told what to tell the king. He obeyed. Okay, you want me to tell the king that? You guys have all agreed the king wants me to tell him that? Fine, I'll tell him what he wants to hear. There you go. Told you what you wanted to hear. I'll submit to that. Go ahead, do it. And then I'll just wait later and then I'll show you that you should have repented. And look what happens. Goes on and says, so Micaiah said, I saw all Israel. Now he's telling the truth. I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, they have no master. Let each return in home in peace. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you he never prophesies good about me but only disaster? Think of the picture. Jehoshaphat's sitting where? On a throne. Ahab's sitting where? On a throne. On a throne made of ivory. A lot of elephants died for that throne. They're sitting on thrones, and Micaiah looks at him and says, well, I saw thrones that make yours look like little kitty chairs. Your thrones mean nothing. Because I've seen the throne room of God. And from his throne room, he has told me, and he's looked down at his people, and he has broken over the fact that you two morons have scattered his people away from him instead of leading them back to him. You are terrible king shepherds. You're not like David. And he's broken over it, he sees that they're gonna be scattered goes on and says this phrase that he uses here. Jesus actually quotes this twice in the New Testament in two different passages. I'll give you one of them right now in Matthew. Then Jesus went to all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. That's what Jehoshaphat was doing in his kingdom. He had sent out the teachers to teach the good news about the law of God. When he saw the crowds... Jesus felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. They're sitting on thrones. And remember, I told you to mark this in your Bible. Where are the thrones located? On the threshing of the capital of Samaria you know what the threshing floor is it's the place where you thresh out grain for harvest and you burn away the chaff you burn away all the excess and you take the fruit and then you get taxed by the king and then you he gives you what you can take home they are on thrones sitting on the threshing floor and Jesus is like look there's a harvest coming and there's a king coming and I'm him And that false one back there was garbage. And Jesus is saying the harvest is abundant. There are people who need to hear the good news of hope because this world is careening out of control. And they don't need a false hope like these prophets and kings are giving. Deuteronomy says this about the prophets. It says, but the prophet who dares to speak a message in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must die. You must say to yourself, how can we recognize a message the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the Lord's name and the message does not come true or is not fulfilled, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has, not, or has spoken it presumptuously. Do not be afraid of it. This was Old Testament law. This is what Jehoshaphat taught them to teach. And now Jehoshaphat is sitting in front of a bunch of prophets who are doing exactly this. And he even recognizes they're doing it because he says, is there a prophet of Yahweh anywhere? All of those 400 prophets deserve to die in that moment according to the Old Testament law. Done. Gone. They're worshiping Asher and Baal. They are not prophets of Yahweh. And now they have prophesied falsely. And as soon as it's caught that they're prophesied falsely, they should be slaughtered for saying something in God's name that God didn't say. Now, does that mean if we lie or we speak wrongly? No, no, no. That's not what that means. We we say things wrongly all the time. But when you put God's name, I have a word from God. I am telling you, be very careful with that kind of talk. Super careful. you got to And for us, we have the word of God in its completeness. Because we have the final book of Revelation. You better know God's word so you don't speak out of turn. He doesn't need to give you any new word. There's plenty for you to learn and get out of his book. You don't need a new one. You need to figure out all the ones he's already given. And he says, don't be afraid of Him." Jeremiah says this. Jeremiah is writing at the end of the northern kingdom being slaughtered, and now the southern kingdom, hundreds of years later, is getting ready to be slaughtered. And this is what Jeremiah says to the people as they're getting ready to be slaughtered. He says, The prophets have treated my people's brokenness superficially, claiming peace, peace, when there is no peace. When they were ashamed, or were they ashamed when they acted so abhorrently? They weren't at all ashamed. They can no longer feel humiliation, therefore they will fall among the fallen. When I perish them, or when I punish them, they will collapse, says the Lord. And I replied, oh no, Lord God, the prophets are telling them, you won't see sword or suffer famine. I will certainly give you true peace in this place, but the Lord will say to me, these prophets are are prophesying a lie in my name, I did not send them nor did I command them or speak to them. They're prophesying to you a false vision, worthless divination, the deceit of their own minds. See, we love to be told everything's gonna be okay. We don't love to read Revelation where the book says it's not gonna end okay. Most of us think we're gonna like build this thing for God and get to the end of our life. We're gonna go to heaven and be like, look at all I built for you. And we treat our nation and we treat our world the same way. Like we're building a kingdom for God and and we're gonna reach everybody. Everybody's gonna repent. It's gonna be so good. God's gonna come back and be like, thank you so much for making this such a wonderful place for me. Revelation says the reason Jesus comes back is no one is repenting anymore. Their hearts have been hardened. They're they're so abhorrent. He's like, I've gotta come back so that sin doesn't continue to destroy people. And that's why he comes back. And he sends two final witnesses to witness to his people, and they kill him, and then he brings them back to life, and then the end comes that 's our book, folks i didn 't write the story, and everybody wants peace, peace, temple, temple it 's all going to be okay. It is going to be okay in heaven, this isn 't my land. Heaven is my land. the new earth is my land that, i 'm a, a temporary citizen here. I am an alien on this earth, the Bible says. Heaven is my permanent destination. Live like it. Live like it, Jesus says. These kings weren't living with the reality of what God had done and what he said he would do. They're making their own kingdoms. They're sitting on their own thrones. And If we're not careful, we'll do the same thing. Jeremiah also said this. This is what the Lord of hosts says. Do not listen to the words of the the prophets who prophesy to you. They are making you worthless. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the Lord's mouth. They keep on saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said you will have peace. They have said to everyone who follows the stubbornness of his heart, no harm will come to you. It'll all work out in the end. What? It will all work out in the end. I hope you're on the right side when it gets worked out. I hope you're on... The Lord's side. I hope you have an alliance with him through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you are aligned with him because if you aren't oh, death awaits you. And a second death eternally awaits you, the Bible says. See, this is what happened. Second Chronicle, then Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and the whole heavenly host was standing at his right and at his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, to march up? And fall at Ramoth Gilead. So one was saying this and another was saying that. Then a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. The Lord asked him how. He said, I will go become a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. Then he said, you will entice him and also prevail. Go and do that. Now you see, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours. And the Lord has pronounced disaster against you. How can the Lord lie? How can he send a lying prophet? Remember what Jesus said in the New Testament about the one sitting on the throne, the shepherd, who will separate the sheep from the goats and the sheep on his right, he will tell them, enter your rest and the goats he will cast into the fire. See, we think that the demons don't have any access to God in heaven. Bible doesn't teach that. We have a story of Job that Satan went where? He went and talked to God. In Revelation, it says that there will be conversations between God and the great beast in those things. But like, this is happening, and, and, and God is saying, who's going to entice Ahab? And, and these demons are stepping up going, we'll do it. We'll get him. Okay, go for it. Do you understand that all Ahab had to do to keep from being enticed from the demon was repent? That's all he had to do. He had to say, I'm not listening. I, I repent. But Ahab wanted to be enticed. He wanted to be lied to. So God sent him what he wanted. No one goes to hell because God sends them there. Everyone goes to hell because they want to go there. They choose to go there. The Bible is clear on that. If you choose God and you surrender to Him and you trust His grace and you struggle through your life to fight for that, God says He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. But if you say, I want nothing to do with you, I only want you when I can use you, if that's your attitude, God says you will perish. That's what He says. So no one goes to hell. It's because they want to be there. They've chosen that. Romans 1 says God is crying out in creation that he exists, and man just says, well, I'll make a new idol. I'll worship the sun. I'll worship the moon. I'll worship the earth. He creates all these idols when he could just cry out to the creator. But we won't do it. And Ahab isn't going to do it either. Sitting on his throne where he's at. It goes on. Then Zedekiah, son of Chinanah, came up and hit Micaiah in the face and demanded, which way did the spirit from the Lord leave me to speak to you? You can always tell a false prophet because when they're confronted, they want to punch you in the face. It's anger. They want to fight. Every time. It's that spirit of malice, that spirit of anger that rises up. is like, I'll show you who's boss. I'll punch you in the face. Now, what are you going to do about it? You don't see any of God's prophets running around punching people. Last time we talked about the guy that asked to be punched, and the prophet was like, I don't know if I want to do this. He said, no, no, God said to do this. Like, he had to convince them to do it. But they're not running out and just, this guy's like, boom. How dare you? I'll show you I'm right. I'll show everybody that you're wrong, because God let me punch you in the face, and now you're hurt. Ha, 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 I got you. goes on, it says, Micaiah replied, you will soon see when you go to hide yourself in an inner chamber on that day. Then the king of Israel ordered Take Micaiah and return him to Amnon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. And say, This is what the king says Put this guy in prison and feed him only bread and water until I come back safely. I got Jehoshaphat on my side. We've reunited the kingdom. We're going to take over the world. It's, we're going to, like today, the church is going to explode now because we've all gotten along goes on and says, in Luke, Jesus says, rejoice in that day and keep and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets when they were persecuted. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. This is Jesus speaking. He's warning, he's saying, look... I know this is going to be hard. I know you're going to go out and tell people these messages, and you're going to be treated like Micaiah. They're going to hate you. He never has anything good to say. He's always talking about hell. He's always talking. No, he's not. Micaiah's not always talking about that. He's talking about the throne room of God. That's pretty cool. But you missed that part. <laughs> you missed, like, wow, you saw the throne. What else did you see in the throne room? No, no, you're so concerned about yourself. You're mad about the part he talked to you about. You're not excited that a human being saw the throne room of God, and you didn't inquire a little bit more. It goes on, it says, look at this. But Micaiah said, Ahab, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. And then he said, all of you better listen. Listen up. This message just isn't for Ahab and Je- Jehoshaphat, it's for everybody. You better listen up, he says goes on in 2 Chronicles. The king of Israel and Judah's king, Jehoshaphat went to Ramoth Gilead, but the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, look at this, look what Ahab does. What a weenie. He says, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your royal attire. But the king of Israel disguised, so the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. You're so confident in your prophets. You're so confident in your throne and authority. You're like, if I hide from God, he won't kill me, like Micaiah said. So I'll put Jehoshaphat out there. But, oh, Jehoshaphat, I want you to get all the credit, Jehoshaphat. Oh, you put the kingly garb on. So if we win the war, everybody's like, Jehoshaphat, the general, let us. Jehoshaphat's the, oh, I, yeah, I'm in. Sure, Ahab's the little king. I'm the bigger king. This works beautifully. Look what happens. Now the king of Aram had ordered his chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone small or great except the king of Israel. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they shouted, he must be the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him. But Jehoshaphat cried out and the Lord helped him. (laughs) God's better than I am. I would have been like, yep, get him. I'm done with him. But God still is merciful. And then it says, look at this, God drew them away from Jehoshaphat when they when the chariot commander saw that he was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. So now what do they do? Their battle orders are to attack the king. It's like, okay, now what? We don't even know who the king is. Look at this. But a man drew his bow without taking special aim and struck the king of Israel through the joints of his armor. So he said to the charioter, turn around and take me out of the battle for I'm badly wounded. The battle raged through that day and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot, facing the Arameans until evening. Then he died at sunset. A random soldier disobeying orders is like, (laughs) and shoots an arrow into the air and takes out Ahab. He was told not to do that. He was told only shoot at the king, only attack the king. He's like, (laughs) I mean, you see that happen all the time in battle where some, you know, he's like, <laughs> that's exact. This guy kills the king of Israel from a random arrow. So, Gahab's like trying to protect himself, and God's like, really, dude? I'm going to use crazy Tom over here. He's like, yeah. And it's going to take you out. And then he says, he died that evening, and blood from his womb flowed into the bottom of the chariot. Then, then the cry rang out in the army at the sunset. Declaring exactly what Micaiah said he saw would be declared. Each man to his own city and each man to his own land. Your sheep without a shepherd, you got no one leading you and they scatter back. Two prophecies fulfilled that Micaiah said would happen. So the king died and was brought to Samaria. They buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at the pool of Samaria. The dogs licked up his blood and the prostitutes bathed in it according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. Remember he said the dogs would look up Ahab's blood and the dogs would eat Jezebel. Later we'll see the story where the dogs come and eat Jezebel. Prophecy after prophecy being fulfilled. And you know what happens after this? They ignore all of it. They ignore the prophets. They ignore the prophecy. They ignore the truth because they're going to pursue what they want for their own benefit. And then it says the rest of the events of Ahab's reign along with all his accomplishments including the ivory pa- palace he built and all the cities he built are written in the historical record of Israel's king. Ahab rested with his fathers and his son Ahaziah, Ahaziah became king in his place. If you just read that last sentence, you'd be like, I want to be Ahab. A lot of accomplishments, I built an ivory palace. I built all these great cities. It's written down that I existed and the people are going to read it. And I rested with my fathers. What a good life. I mean, that's the best life you can hope for. Unless you read the rest of the story. That by God's grace, he allowed Ahab that. Not because Ahab did the right thing. But see, we like to pull that part of the story out and ignore the rest around it. Goes on, it says... Back to Chronicles. Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned to his home in Jerusalem in peace. Oh, that's a close one! I almost got killed by those Arameans. You know, they came and got me. And I'm glad I got out of that one. That was rough. Then Jehu, the son of Hananiah, the seer, came out to confront him and said, "King Jehoshaphat, did you help or do you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord?" Because of this, the Lord's wrath is on you. However, some good is found in you. For you have removed the Asherah poles from the land and have decided to at least seek God. Like you told Ahab to at least try to seek God. First John, Jesus, or John said this in 1 John. This is how we know that we love God, the, uh, God's children, when we love God and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. Now his commands are not burdensome. Like Jehoshaphat's trying to fix all these things. He's not obeying God's commands. He's not listening to God. Second Corinthians says this, Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Beelah? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does God's sanctuary have with idols? For we are the sanctuary of the living God. Why do you keep making all these alliances with people that don't love me? That don't care about my church. They don't care about my people. They just care about their power, their position, their influence, their ministry, their books they sell. That's what they care about. They're not giving their life to a local family, a local church. They're just trying to make a name for themselves, and you guys keep buying it. Paul's like, stop. He's like, don't be mismatched with unbelievers. And then with believers, he's like, you better make sure they don't have idols in their sanctuary. So he's talking about two sets of people here. He says, the unbelievers, be careful. And then he says, there's these believers who say they have these things in common. They say that they're a part of the sanctuary of God, but they're full of idolatry. Don't partner with them. This isn't a new message. God said this from the beginning, and he said it at the end of his book. It's the same message. It goes on in 1 Kings and says, Jehoshaphat, son of Asa, became king over Judah in the fourth year of, king Israel, or Israel's king, of Israel's king Ahab. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king. He reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azabah, daughter of Silhiah. He walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn away from them, but did what was right in the Lord's sight. And you think, ah, yes, that's what I want for my life. That's what I want to be said. However, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places where they weren't supposed to make sacrifices with idolatry. And Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel when he was not supposed to make peace. Hey, you did a great job. Asterix. Hey, Barry Bonds, you're the home run champion. asterisks. Hey, Pete Rose, you've hit the most hits. Asterix. Just a subtle alliance with a betting agent. A subtle alliance with a drug. A subtle alliance. And it tarnishes the rest. A little yeast leavens the holdo. God's like, be careful. Look into your own heart and your own life. It says ah- Ahaziah, son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Judah, King Jehoshaphat's Um, and reigned over Israel two years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. There it is, in the Lord's sight. He walked in the ways of his father Ahab, in the way of his mother Jezebel, and in the way of Jeroboam son of Nebat, who had caused Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshiped him. He provoked the Lord of Israel just as his father had done. This was not a good guy. And then it says, after all of this, Judah's king Jehoshaphat made an alliance with Israel's king Ahaziah who was guilty of wrongdoing. Jehoshaphat formed an alliance with him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made the ships in Ezion Gerber. You haven't learned your lesson yet, dude? You're trying to keep your kingdom. You're trying to make things work together. Stop. Just live as the king of the southern kingdom and honor me and hold people accountable that I've put under your accountability. Quit looking at everything else. You're trying to build ships to do so. Stop. Just focus in on what I've called you to be faithful to do. And you're like, oh, I can make this a new deal with this guy in that day. And you get all over the place. Just do simple. Look what happens. Then Eleazar, son of Dod, Dodawah, Dodayahu, that's actually how you pronounce it, of Marisha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, because you formed an alliance with Ahaziah, the Lord is broken up what you have made so the ships were wrecked and were not able to go to Tarshish. You want to know how you can find out if you made a bad alliance? Look at the wreck of your life. It'll happen. It may not happen now. Things may be going well. You may have two or three years of peace. Things might look good now, but when you start to see As your life goes on, who you keep aligning with, who you keep listening to, who you keep tuning into, who do you keep asking advice from, that's all going to stack up, and someday you're going to see the alliance you've made, and your life is going to get shipwrecked. Don't do it. Make your alliance with God, make your alliance with the people of God who love His Word, who love Jesus, who serve Him. Like, make an alliance. I'm going to commit to this. This is the thing that's going to get the priority of my life over everything else, period. Hit my God, his people, just like the prophets all died saying, My God, his people, they're going to kill me. Doesn't matter. Jesus said, My God, I am God, and my people, and they're going to kill me. Doesn't matter. I'm going to give myself to it. That is a covenant alliance of love. They might quit. I'm not quitting. You might quit on me, I'm going to die for you. And I'm going to call you out the whole time I'm doing it. I'm not going to be like, I'm just dying for you. I'm dying for you again today. No, like, you stink, and I'm still going to give my life. Because I love you, and I love my God, and he's called me to do that. And I wish you wouldn't stink. That's good. That's what the prophets, that's what the Bible reveals. Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers, his son, Jehoram became king in his place. When Jehoram had established himself under his father's kingdom, he strengthened his position. Look at this. Look at what happens to Jehoshaphat's family. It is completely shipwrecked by killing with the sword all of his brothers as well as some of the princes of Israel. Jehoram was 32 years old. When he became king and reigned eight years in Jerusalem, he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He abandoned God. He abandoned Jerusalem because he was married to Ahab's daughter. As the house of Ahab had done, for Ahab's daughter was his wife, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. But because of the covenant of the Lord, he made with David was unwilling to destroy the house of David since the Lord had promised to give a lamp to David to his sons forever. You keep breaking my promises and I keep keeping them, God says. You keep breaking, I'm going to keep keeping because that's who I am and I'm going to call you out every time, which is what he does. Goes on. As we wrap up, Isaiah says this, for this is what the Lord said to me with great power to keep me from going the way of this people. Isaiah was a prophet to the northern kingdom right before they were slaughtered by Assyria. He's saying, I don't want to go the way of these people. This is what he says. Do not call everything an alliance, these people say as an, an alliance. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of hosts as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. He will be a sanctuary. But for the two houses of Israel, he will be a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Jesus Jesus said this about himself. Paul said it in Romans. He said, As it is written, Look, I am putting a stone in Zion to stumble over, a rock to trip over, yet the one who believes on him, that's Jesus, will never be put to shame. Get the right alliance. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, Pharisees, you Sadducees, you religious leaders, and given to a nation producing its fruit. Whoever falls on this stone, Jesus is pointing at himself, this stone will be broken into pieces. But, who, but on whoever it falls, it will grind him to a powder. But when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they knew he was speaking about them. And so they repented and they said, we're so sorry and we want to follow you just like Ahab listened to Micaiah. Here's the anger again. Here's the how dare you again. We got to find a way to kill this guy again. See it? It always pops up. It's always there. Goes on, it says, although they were looking for a way to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. See, Jesus says don't fear, and Ahab and Jehoshaphat, and these guys are always trying to play the game of how do I keep things under control How do I keep peace, peace, the temple, temple, instead of just letting the fear of God play out? And the fear of God can be scary on a nation. Goes on in 1 Corinthians, he says, I fought wild animals in Ephesus with only human hope. If I did that, what good did that do me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, and for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals, Paul says. Come to your senses and stop sinning. For some people are ignorant about God. I say this to your shame, not those that are ignorant about God. And then Jesus Jude says this, Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I was eager to write to you about peace, peace, how great it is just to know Jesus, I found it necessary to write and exhort you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once and for all. For some men who were designed or were uh, designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into promiscuity and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. It's exactly what was happening to Ahab. These men come in and then Ahab, what did he do? He took on stealth mode. You get all dressed up like the king, I'm going into stealth mode. Guys, these are the same patterns that are repeated over and over and over again in Scripture. It doesn't change. The question is, what alliance will we make in our lives? Will we believe that God is faithful, that the same patterns we see over and over again aren't some made-up story? They're not things for us to read and then manipulate to our advantage. They're things for us to read and declare to the world, our God is coming. Get ready. And when you see him, you're either going to see him like Micaiah did. The throne. And you're going to be amazed or you're going to be terrified. Man, be amazed. Surrender. If you've not surrendered to Christ, make an alliance with him. If you're thinking about leaving an alliance that God has told you to keep, don't do it. If you need to make an alliance that God has asked you to make, make it. Because God is in heaven. And this message hasn't changed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for these kings. I thank you for this story that gives us such a picture of the truth. Of even today, how today we are trying to get all these alliances and to fix our problems. And we're not praying. We're not like Jehoshaphat said. Have we sought the Lord? Have we cried out to him? Have we fasted? Have we prayed? Have we put on sackcloth? Nope. Just trying to manipulate all the situations so that our bank accounts look better, our jobs look better, our kids look better. And we're not just asking the honest question what would it look like for us to truly believe what you've said and to live as your people and to not be afraid of everything else in the world, but just to be amazed at you? Lord, I pray this morning if there's anyone here who hasn't surrendered to you, Lord, they haven't said, I'm done and I'm yours, I pray today would be that day. And for those of us who have said that we've done that, I pray that we would check our hearts and our alliances and what we're depending on. And Lord, I pray that we would listen to your prophets in the word of God. We would read it, believe it, and do it. Because the Bible says, if we love you, we'll obey you. And if we love people, we'll obey you. And if we're trying to manipulate you and manipulate people, we won't obey you. And so, Lord, help us to do that. And for those of us who are walking with you, for those of us who are at a place where it's, where it's peace and there's just joy and we're seeing you use us, I pray that we wouldn't get discouraged. I pray that we wouldn't get complacent like Jehoshaphat. I, wouldn't, I pray that we wouldn't think we can just go out and solve everything, but we just do the simple things in our life to declare who you are, we pray in your name.